Hi, good morning. Happy Father's Day to everyone here. And again, uh, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a backstory. Like, I pray a lot for um, us as fathers that a couple things will happen in our lives. One, that we'll uh, recognize our influence um, and that we will recognize that our influence into this world or into uh, our child's life is a big part of their journey. And so uh, I pray that we take responsibility um, for that. And also pray a lot that uh, we as fathers will not only recognize the role that we have with our own children, but we'll recognize that uh, a lot of kids are growing up in a fatherless generation. Um, and so not only do we have a responsibility to um, our own children, but there are other children in this world that need dads, right? And so uh, just so you know today that the, the impact that God's given you or the ability for the impact that God's given you is great, and that we'll take that responsibility and do what we can to uh, change the lives of young people. So happy Father's Day. Hope your day is great. Uh, the other thing is, so a couple things going on. So seven-day slumber. Uh, we talked to you guys about this a couple weeks ago when we needed some volunteers, so plenty of volunteers, not plenty, but enough volunteers signed up uh, to be a part of that. But I want to give you the just brief vision. If you remember um, when COVID hit and we shut down, we made a decision we were going to move down here. But I had said at the time, like, if we're going to move down here and we're going to spend the money, then we're going to do more than just have church on Sunday morning, you know, because it would drive me nuts to spend all the money and just have it so that we could do church. So if we're going to set it up, we're going to set it up in a way that we can use this as a venue, right? So that's, that was the idea. So, um, you know, they've been putting that together and we have different events happening. And the reason that we wanted it to be used as a venue is because we thought this is another great opportunity to reach out to the community, to give us a, the, the chance to build relationships with people who aren't normally going to be in church, right? And so Seventh Day Slumber is one of many events that are coming uh, down the road. And so if you're not going to come, we pray that you would be praying for people uh, to be able to come to it and to be able to enjoy uh, not only the venue, but an opportunity for us to be able to build relationships with them so that we show them the love of Christ through uh, a concert. So that's coming. Uh, so be praying for that, and we're excited uh, for what's going on there. The next thing is our giving slide. So it's that time of the month where we look at uh, giving here at Life Church. So monthly budget of 45000 where we're at in May's giving, what we were over budget, what we're over for the year, and the new givers that we have. And again, you know, I say uh, every time we put this slide up there, I'm like I'm just continually overwhelmed by the generosity of the church and the willingness for you guys to say we trust you and we want you to continue uh, to do ministry uh, in the way that uh, we're looking at uh, doing that into the community. So thank you for all of your generous gifts. The other thing that we want to show you is what's going on with our building project. So many of you guys know for a lot of years we put off the roof and the air conditioners uh, and it came to the point where we need to get them fixed. And so we want to keep you guys updated on the total amount of money that's been raised so far, the donations that were given uh, towards the building fund in May and where we're at on the money that we still uh, need to raise to be able to get this done. So again, uh, if you want to give towards the building fund, so if you go online or if you just write it on a 
you know, envelope and you put it in the box in the back. We'll put it towards this building fund so we can continue. Work starts next week. They're going to start setting some HVAC systems uh, up, up top, and uh, then we'll be getting the roof uh, after that. So we're excited that we can continue to upgrade the building to be able to continue to use it uh, here for the community, but we also understand that we want to be able to fund this and, and be able to fund it without going to the bank, um, and so that's where we're at in our giving right now. So thankful for all that you've given, thankful for those who are going to give in the future. All right, so that's our updates of what's going on. Now, let's get into the series. So the series is called Unshakable Faith. And this is the whole idea around the series, right, is, is that if you look at a lot of people's stories, right, and you, you talk to them about their faith journey, one of the things that you see a lot of times is people that were on a faith journey and then circumstances of life knocked them off course, right? Could be a lot of different things. Could be health situation, could be, you know, an addiction situation. I mean, just a lot of different things, but they're on a faith journey. They were going to church. Things were going well. They were excited about what's happening, and then all of a sudden, something in life imploded, and then faith got knocked off of center. So the idea of unshakable faith is to say, how can we have a faith that doesn't get knocked off center by the circumstances of life? Right? So how do you get that? How do you get to the place where we have that kind of faith? So week one, we said, so if you want to have unshakable faith, it starts with this. You've got to have faith in the right thing. Right? So too many times we would say we have faith in Jesus, but what rocks our faith is not Jesus, it's the circumstances of life. You know what I mean? It was like, here's Jesus, and, and we hooked our anchor to our health or our finances or our, right, like you could just it, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden that moved and our faith shifted with it. And so week one, we said, if you want to have unshakable faith, put it in the only thing that's not going to move. And that's Jesus, right? Because the rest of the stuff, it all moves, right? Health and finances and circumstances, life and relationships, all that stuff moves around. So put it in Jesus Christ and it will be unshakable and circumstances will happen, but you won't be knocked off center. But we said to be able to do that, you got to grow your faith. Like that just doesn't naturally happen. You don't come out of the gate, give your life to Jesus and say, man, nothing can rock my faith, right? Like you give your life to Jesus and it's like, I need to build my faith. Like I don't know any more than like somebody said I needed to trust in Jesus and I did, and, but my faith needs to grow, so how do I grow my faith? So that's where we said we'll talk about the five faith catalysts, right? So the five faith catalysts were things that we needed to be able to do to grow your faith. So the first one was practical teaching, right? Now, Practical teaching, I think it's important to talk about this because some of you might have been in the same background that I was. So I grew up in a church where I looked up at the guy that was preaching and he had on a robe and I thought he was speaking Chinese because I didn't understand one thing that he said, even though he's speaking English, right? Like he would open up the Bible and he would start and I'm just sitting there like daydreaming or doodling or, you know, you used to have that little dot game, like you put those dots and I didn't actually remember how to play it now, but I knew in church how to do it because... There was nothing else to do because it was completely boring and I didn't get it. So the first time I went to a service where I understood the preacher, I'm like, holy crap. Like I had probably heard that same message a hundred times, but now it made sense, right? So sometimes people are like, oh, practical teaching. I understand what the preacher says, but that's not what scripture says when it talks about practical teaching. Practical teaching based upon what scripture says is not only will you understand the word and take some notes, but you'll do something. Right? Like, you'll actually go out and be a doer of the word. Now, 
The important part about that piece of a faith catalyst is I want to make sure, because I can't overemphasize what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't make it so that being a doer of the word is a suggestional thing, right? He tells you, if you are not a doer of the word, right, you are like a man who built his house upon the sand. And when the storm comes, your house is crashing, right? And when he says crashing, that doesn't mean like interruption of life. That means your faith is gone, crashed away. And the one constant, so the one constant in that story is the storm's coming, right? The storm is coming in everybody's life. And at some point, your foundation will be tested, right? And you'll figure out which foundation you're on. If it's sand, it's crashing. If it's on rock, it's going to stay. And the way that it's on sand is when you're, not a, you're a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. But the person that gets to the place where their house stands is their, is their foundation is on a rock. How do you get a foundation on the rock is you're a doer of the word, right? And so don't, again, I don't want to overemphasize how important that is. It's not a suggestion. It would say, if you are a person of faith, you will be a doer of the word, right? And your foundation will be strong. Then it came to what is really one of my favorites is this whole idea of personal ministry. Like that whole idea of personal ministry completely revolutionized my life. The idea, this was the story, remember Jesus, you know, looking at a crowd of 5,000 people and he tells his disciples, you need to feed them right? And the disciples are like, have you seen the lunchbox, right? There's not enough food in the lunchbox. And Jesus is like, that's okay. That's okay. And what revolutionized this for me was when I finally figured out this. I don't have to worry that the fish are going to multiply. I just got to hand out fish. Like I can hand out fish. A hillbilly like me, I can hand out fish. Like, I can't do a whole lot of other things, but if you're asking me to hand out fish, boy, I can do that all day long. And here's the crazy thing. Like, people want God to do amazing things in their life. And they say, God, I want you to do big and amazing things. He can't do it until you start handing out fish. This isn't going to multiply. Your lunchbox isn't going to multiply until you start emptying it. We're all on that same page, right? Like, it's only going to multiply when you start saying, here's the fish, here's the fish, here's the fish, and then you're coming back and like, how in the world? I don't know. Here's the fish, here's the fish, right? Like that's the way that it works. So for us, a faith catalyst would say is we need to have a personal ministry. When God tells you to hand out fish and I don't know what your story is, like I don't know individually what your story is, but you better be handing out fish. You know, and everybody's got their own story, but just do whatever he tells you to do. And in that, you're going to see your faith multiplied in ways that you would have never been able to ask for or imagine, but you got to participate. If you want God to do you have to do, you can't ask God to do big things if you're going to do nothing, right? So that was personal ministry. Now, the next one's kind of pivotal, I think, because the first two involve you personally, right? So you need to be a doer of the word, practical teaching. You need to be handing out the fish. You need to be able to personally go out and do those things. The next one is providential relationships, right? And here's what a providential relationship looks like. It's a relationship that will spur you on to be a better you, right? Or a better person. Like a providential relationship, this is how it works, right? A providential relationship is somebody can go up and say, hey, Isaac, you're not a doer of the word. You should be a doer of the word. And Isaac's not going to want to smack me in the mouth. 
He's going to take it. You know what I mean? That's a providential relationship. When it's non-providential, they're like, who are you? Right? And then you do want to smack him in the mouth. Because you're like, why are you talking to me? You don't even have a relationship with me. You see what I'm saying? Like, providential relationships is when you have this relationship capacity that you can speak into somebody's life and you can say, Isaac, this is what I see. And here's what you need to do. And he's not sitting back there saying, oh, my gosh, he's just nagging me. He's like, this is somebody that I'm going to take this advice and do something with, right? Those are providential relationships. You sit back, and as a person, you love providential relationships because if you tell your story, like if you look at your story and you go back, or if you look at anybody's story, if you go back, inside of those stories is always like, do you remember that person when they did or do you remember that person when they did? Or do you remember? Like if you are on a faith journey and your faith journey has grown, you can pick out people that have been in your life that were providential relationships. You look back and say, I am so thankful for that person. Like I'm so thankful that that person spoke into my life. I'm so thankful that that person chose, and this is the key, to invest into me. Because that's what providential relationships do. Providential relationships do the hard work, which is investment right? It's the one thing that I think we struggle with. Like, I think inside of life, we don't mind relationships, but when you think about investment, you're like, do I really have the time? Do I really have the knowledge? Can I really get this done? Providential relationships will say, you know what, I'm going to take the time to invest into somebody else because I see something. This is so cool. Providential relationships, I see something that you don't see, and I'm going to help you see it. Right? I'm going to help you see some things in your life that you don't see. I'm going to help you get it done. And for me, I've had many of those people. One is my wife. Right? Sherry has been that providential relationship for me. If you talk to anybody, they're like, thank goodness for Sherry. Right? From the beginning. Like, thank goodness that she was there to move you into the place to make you a better you. Right? And not just make you a better you. Like, pick up your laundry. Make you a better you. Right, which she would love that too. But, you know, I'm saying like, make you a better you. Like, this is where I see God challenging your life. Take the step. Or I'm saying like, this is what God's saying. And she's saying, I support you. You know what I mean? Those providential relationships that will help you see those things and help you move down the road that you would never be able to get there. And I've had many men in my life, and I'm thankful for that, that have come alongside of me and they've seen the way that I was living and things that are doing. They've challenged me, right? And they've said, hey, you know, I don't know, you're saying one thing and doing another, right? Because that's the other thing about this, and this is what I'm going to challenge you with throughout this series, or throughout this message today. One, I want you to be thinking about who that person is. Like, who is that person in your life that, that is and or has invested into you? And then the other thing I want you to think through is, do you have that person? Like, do you have that person in your life? Do you have that person, that providential relationship right now that you're okay? Because sometimes when you say you don't, you know why you don't? Because you don't want to listen. Right? Like sometimes you don't have a providential relationship because somebody tried and you're like, uh-uh. <laughs> you're not telling me what to do. You're not going to challenge me on the way that I'm living. You're not going to, like you don't want to let people in. You see, and we're going to talk about this later, but part of the problem you know, with drifting from faith is isolationism, right? You isolate yourself away from people. And when you isolate yourself away from people, and I say from people, from the people that want you to have faith, and then you move into the people that could care less, 
right? But you move away from the people that want to help change uh, your life. And so I want you to think about, do you have that person in your life and do you have somebody speaking into your life because you need it, you know, if you're going to take or get that unshakable faith. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Hebrews 10. So in Hebrews 10, we're going to go through or talk through this idea of why providential relationships or relationships with people who want to see you be better make sense. Now, in the book of Hebrews, this is what was going on. So in the book of Hebrews, it was a Jewish culture of people meeting together who were used to the Jewish way. So you remember the Jewish way, which was ritualistic. If you did these things, God loved you. If you didn't do these things, God didn't love you. So the best thing that you could do is do the right things. Go to church, you know, learn the Torah, whatever that stuff was, make the right sacrifices. So if you did that stuff, things were good. And if you didn't, things were bad. It was very, like, you could put your hands on it. Does that make sense? It's like you knew how to be good, and you knew what wasn't good. And as long as you carried out the acts of being good, so you could physically know how you were doing. So then they show up, and they say, hey, we're going to, you know, we want to tell you about Jesus. And so then they come along and say, this is Jesus, right? And, and the way that you make God happy, we said this in the beginning, or the way that you, you know, astound God is by faith. And they're like, by what? Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with all of those ritualistic things anymore, but it's by living by faith. And so they were really excited in the beginning. So they were like, oh, we're so excited. And, you know, it's not about the rituals. It's just about a relationship. And I need to be in a relationship with Jesus. And I need to be faithful. And they were going down that road. And then all of a sudden they're like, I don't think this works. And you know what happens when you don't think something works? You tend to go back to your old ways. The thing that, again, the thing that you thought worked. Right? And so these Hebrew people started drifting back to this idea like, oh, we just need to go back to the way that it used to be and the way that it, that it used to work. And so the book of Hebrews is to say, Jesus is better. Right? A relationship with Jesus is better. You need to stay on track. If you don't stay on track, you're going to fall away. And if you fall away, you're going to miss what faith really means. So Hebrews 10 is to get them back to the place or to a place where they don't lose their faith. Specifically, what we're going to look at today in Hebrews 10 is this idea of how relationships keep you on track, right? How is it that providential relationships in your life will keep you on track and keep you going down the right road? So here's how it starts. So Hebrews 10, we're going to go in verse 23. So in the context of what he was talking about to the people, he says this to them. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. So just real quick, unswervingly. So this is what he's talking about, unshakable faith. Let us hold to the faith that we prof profess, right? And when he says it, he says, and let it not go off the road, right? So if the faith that we profess is Jesus, let it be straight and narrow, right? Let our belief and our faith go this way. Don't be going like this. Right? And the way that you go like this, anybody's driving that's swerved on the road, you get distracted, you're inebriated, you know, one of those two things happen, you know, your car's breaking down. So he's saying, I'm going to give you the things that you need, right, to be able to stay on track and keep your faith in the right lane and that you can keep going down that road. And he says, the way that you're going to do that, right, he says, for he who promised is faithful, 
right? For he who promised is faithful. And again, I want to bring this back up because this is so important in the idea of this unshakable faith. And as we go into this providential relationship piece of it all. So it's like this story that I read in one of the books that I read a couple years ago. It was about this young boy. And so this young boy was standing on a corner. And when he's standing on the corner, his dad said, I got to go get the car. So here's what I want you to do. Like, this must have been an old story because I don't know who leaves their kid on a street corner anymore. But anyway, so he leaves his kid on the street corner, and he goes to get his car, right? His car is, is quite a ways away. He goes, you know, down the blocks, and he goes and gets his car. He says, you wait here. I'll be back in a little bit. So he goes. He gets the car, and as he gets in the car and he goes to, to, to go around the block, the car breaks down. And so half hour turns into an hour. An hour turns into Two hours, two hours turns into three hours. Three hours later, four hours later, he finally gets his car going, right? Now, if you were a parent, what would you be worried about? Number one, somebody said stealing my kid, which I never even thought about that one. But yeah, in today's day and age, yeah, somebody taking my kid. I would be worrying about, my kid ain't no way he's standing there for three hours. Like, if I said I'll be right back, there ain't no way he's standing there. He's going to be like, this sucker ain't showing back up. I'm going to go find somebody. I'm going to call. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do something else because I don't trust that my father's coming back. Okay? So he goes around. He gets things started. He comes running back, you know, gets the car, pulls up, parks, runs up there, and he sees his son. You know, his son's just looking in the window and just kind of gawking around and the father runs up there and he grabs his son and hugs him. It's like, I'm so sorry. It took so long. And, you know, I was so worried that you wouldn't be here. And the son looks around like, well, why did you think I wouldn't be here? You told me to stay here and I trusted you. So I stayed here. You see that right there, right? That could be an entire message right there because that's what a relationship with Jesus Christ says that we would understand this. We're standing here, and he said he'd be back in five minutes, but he didn't come back, but I still trust him. Didn't come back in an hour, and I still trust him. Because some of you have lived that part of your life. You know what I mean? Like, I thought God was coming, but he ain't showed up. I thought God was coming, and he ain't showed up. I thought God was coming, and he ain't showed up. But I'm going to stay here. You know why? Because I trust the one who told me to stay here, even though the outside circumstances make no sense right? I'm going to stay in this spot and I'm going to have faith because I trust the one who told me to stay here. And that is what you need to have a faith that doesn't swerve, right? Is that regardless of what happens outside of you, you're going to trust the one who promised to be faithful to you. Now, how do we keep that, right? Or how do we build that? That's what he says next. And so he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another. So now he's saying, like, you want to be able to have this faith, so this is how you're going to be able to get it done. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So he says, one of the ways that you're going to do it is to spur each other on. Now, again, this makes sense, I think, you know, in the world, which I brought this up to you guys before, um, you know, before the Spartan race, but I want to tell you a little bit about after the Spartan race. So Isaac, you know, was like, hey, dad, you know, I'm going to do the Spartan race. You should do it. I've told you that story. And so I signed up for it and I was training for it kind of, maybe not as intense as I should be, but I was training for it, getting ready for it. Sherry got sick, uh, was in the hospital, so was unable to do it. So, uh, our family and some people here from the church got together and they did the Spartan race. 
What was amazing about all of that is they got home. So I'm talking to Lexi and Stephen and Isaac, and they're, they're home, and they're talking about the Spartan race, and they're talking about how awesome it was, right? Now, this is a six-mile, 28-obstacle thing, and I'm like, that's awesome, you know? And so, like, that much running and that much obstacles, like, and so when they're talking about it and they're, they're, they're discussing what was so awesome about the race, it wasn't necessarily this idea that we ran and we accomplished, but we did it together, right? And that we helped other people accomplish things with us doing it together that they would not be able to do on their own. So it was seeing the team be able to accomplish something was as great as accomplishing it yourself. So we know that, right? There's great satisfaction. If somebody doesn't know how to do something and you know how to do it and you teach them how to do it and it might, they might scrape their knees up, it's like teaching your kid to ride a bike. Like you teach them to ride your bike and you help them and they fall over and you're like, dang it. You teach them, you know, and they fall over and they keep trusting you. You teach them, they fall over. But when they finally go down the road, you're like, yes, I helped them do something or accomplish something. And you feel great about it, right? Like that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Like you help somebody, you take your knowledge and you pass it on to somebody else. And they're even excited because you taught them how to do it. And they're willing to scrape their knees up to get it done. You know what's interesting though? When it comes to faith, it's not the same. You know why? So if I go to Steve and I say, hey, Steve, you don't want to spur you on in your faith. He'd be like, wait a second. No, he wouldn't say this. But this is what other people. Mine's a personal relationship with Christ, right? Like, I know you want to spur me on, but, you know, we all have our own personal relationship. We're all doing our own thing. So essentially they say it in a nice Christian way, but you know what they're saying? Stay out of my business. The Christian relationship is a personal relationship at my own pace. You have no right to speak into my life. That is exactly false. <laughs> Your Christian relationship, yes, it's a personal relationship with Jesus, but if you want to have faith, you better have somebody that can come and speak into your life. You better have somebody that can come up to you and say, you know what, that right there is not where you need to be. Right? I need to spur you on. I need to show you the things that I'm seeing in your life. And you need to be able to say, thank the Lord somebody cares enough to talk to me. Instead of it looking at it from an accusatory matter, you know how that goes, right? You know, when people come to you and want to spur you on, we're looking at it saying, oh, we want to help you get better. You know how you look at it sometimes? You're such a terrible person, right? Like you hear it completely differently. Like people who understand this whole idea of spurring on faith, it's the whole idea of just what we're talking about like with the Spartan race. We're spurring you on because we know that you can do something even though you see or you're looking at something you think is impossible, right? So we're gonna spur you on. And when you do it, you're gonna be like, the next obstacle's better. And, the ne and then you're gonna go back to what they're gonna do. They're gonna go back and run 13 miles, Right? Like, how do you do that? Because you made it through something that now gives you the ability to do more. But until you've done it, until somebody spurred you on and seen you going past that place, you then will never be able to, to get to that place. You've got to have somebody that can speak into your life, spur you on, be able to have the conversations to, to make you a better person. So he says, spur you on in your faith. Here's the next thing that he says um, in verse 25. And not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So I want to point this out. This might be obvious, but I want, to, I want to maybe make it more obvious. People walk away from people before they walk away from faith. 
Okay, so let me explain that. If you see anybody that's going down this journey and they've been going down this road and they're wanting to be, you know, a, b- a better person and they're wanting to be spurred on in their faith and then all of a sudden they start to isolate themselves off, right? They, they'll isolate themselves off from people and usually when they isolate themselves off from people, you know what's next? The fall. Because you know why they isolate themselves off from people, Right? Because these people are trying to spur them on, keep them on the right track, go down the road. And then they separate themselves off from people because they no longer want that accountability in their life to be able to keep them going down that road. And so that's why inside of this it says one of the things you're going to have to do is you've got to inhabit a meeting together. You can't give that up. Right? You have to be in relationship with people because before you walk away from faith, you're going to walk away from people. And then when you walk away from people, you will then walk away from faith. That's the progression of the way that it works. Right? You'll first separate yourself from people and then you'll separate yourself from faith. And so he was saying, and the writer of Hebrews saying, listen, you need to make a habit of meeting together and making sure that's an important part of your life. That's why, you know, and we've said this from the beginning of Life Church, if you want anything significant to happen in your life, okay, you hear me? Everybody with me? If you want anything significant to happen in your life, you have to get out of rows and get into circles. You have to get out of rows and get into circles. If all you ever do is sit in the row in a church, I don't mean this bad, there ain't no preaching that's going to change your life. There's not. I mean, it might be good for the moment, be like, oh, that message made sense. But what changes your life is circles and relationships with people that are going to spur you on to, to change the way that you're doing life. And so we've always said, listen, you need to get out of rows and get into circles. Now, for a lot of people, that, that's a hard press, right? Like, I don't know, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I don't really know a lot about the Bible and, you know, I don't know if I'll feel weird inside of a group of people. And then do they ask you to share your whole life story? You know, all of those kind of things that people are afraid of if like you get inside of that. So one, I want to tell you this, getting out of rows into circles doesn't necessarily mean you have to get in a small group, right? It could mean that you get into a mentoring relationship. It could mean that you meet with somebody on a regular basis that's somebody that's going to coach you and or mentor you, right? But you're going to have somebody that's going to be able to speak into your life, spur on your faith, and help you do things. You can't just come and, and sit in a row and listen to a message if you're ever going to get changed. And or you can get into a small group. And I would tell you, most of my providential relationships have come out of small groups of people, right? We got in a small group, we were meeting, I made a connection, inside of that connection, somebody, you know, made sense to me, and and we built a relationship, and inside of that relationship, we now are able to speak into each other's lives in ways that you were never able to do it before, right? And that's so, so important. And I want you to hear this, because sometimes I think this gets lost. A lot of people are like, we're going to get into the small group and we're going, to, we're going to learn more about the Bible, but I don't really know how to teach the Bible and I'm worried about the curriculum and are they really talking about Jesus? And I'm like, you know what you really should think through? And I don't want you to hear this as, as clear as you can say this. Curriculum's okay, but you know what matters most? Relationship. Like you can learn all the Bible you want, but for me, like if I'm trying to figure out 
the Bible, I want to see Jesus in real life. You know how I'm going to see Jesus in real life? I'm going to look at Isaac. That's Jesus, right? Until I can get it figured out, curriculum's fine to study. Curriculum's great to go over because a lot of people are like, we need to worry about curriculum and are they really teaching this and that? I'm like, I don't know. Just get together. Get together. Be Jesus to people. And I'm telling you, curriculum's good, but what changes people's lives is relationships, right? And inside of those relationships are going to be the things that are going to be transformational. And so get into those circles and be Jesus to people. Spur one another on. And again, you're going to see life change happen. So here's the last verse, or here's the last thing that he says to them. It says, but encouraging one another... And all the more as you see the day approaching. So the band's going to come back up. I want you to think about this. So here's what he says. So I want to encourage one another and all the more, meaning like put a sense of urgency on it. Like put a sense of urgency on this idea of encouraging one another. So why should you put a sense of urgency on encouraging one another? Encouraging one another? Because the day is coming. What day is he talking about? The end Right? And a lot of people are like, you mean the end when Jesus is coming back or the end of my life? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. You're meeting Jesus. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. He could be coming back or you could be dying. Either way, the end is near. Don't jack around. You have no idea that you're guaranteed tomorrow. What are you waiting for? Why aren't you in relationship? Because here's what you got to know. If you don't already know this. Okay? When people are at the end of your life, you want to know what the most important thing to them is? Relationships. People. Right? People who, because of their investment, whether it's an investment from other people or you've invested into them, at the end of a person's life, they don't sit around being like, I'm so thankful I grew my business. I'm so thankful that I, you know, you know made this work or made that work. Or I'm so thankful that I... They're so thankful because now the people that are surrounding them are the people that love them. That's what they're thankful for. People at the end of their life are thankful because of that. In fact, in all of the things of life, like if you look at where Sherry's at right now, I'm not saying that she's at the end of life, but being sick, right, the diagnosis she had, the thing that brings her the greatest joy, people. The thing that brings her the greatest joy is this small group of people that have been in a small group that want to encourage and text and do because, again, this is just an awareness. We don't always know the end of our time, but we do know, like, this, I need to invest in the people that, that surround her, the people that she's done life with, right? The people that are going to be there at the end. That's what means the most. You know what else? So at the end of your life, you're going to want people around you who love you, and you'll have nobody around you if you choose not to invest. Listen to me. I've watched people die alone because they chose to live a selfish life that was all about them. I've watched it. It's terrible. And I've watched people surrounded by people because they chose to be an investment all of their life, right? That's what you want. Here's the other thing. When the end is coming and you meet Jesus, you need to be thankful because you're going to be standing in front of him and you're going to be like, I'm so thankful that you paid for my sins and I get to enter into eternity, right? Because of my relationship with Jesus. But you know what he's going to say next to you? What did you do with all the time that I gave you? Who did you invest into? Who's going to be here 
next because of you? Who's going to be here next because of your investment? What are you going to say? I didn't have any time. I was busy building a career. I was busy doing. I was busy doing. I was busy doing. Like, <laughs> think about this. The only thing that matters in the end is relationships. But yet it's the one thing that we kind of put on the peripheral because we're so busy doing life. And when I say that, I'm not talking about relationships that are just like, hey, we're hanging out by the pool. I'm saying relationships that matter, relationships that are going to be because you changed somebody's life, relationships because you chose to invest into them, relationships because you said some of the hard things and you allowed people to say hard things to you that transformed the way that you live life. That's what you need, those types of relationships, because it's what's going to matter in the end. And this is what I want to challenge you with. Back to what I said before, here's a couple questions for you. I hope throughout this service you've thought of somebody that's been that to you. My question is, have you thanked them? Like if you said, you know what, thank you for your investment. Not thank you to build their ego up, but thank you to make us recognize and remember that what we're doing and how we're investing matters, right? And here's the other question. Have you been that to somebody else? Are you right now a providential relationship for somebody else? And so parents, I want to encourage you for just a second. Think about this, that your first providential relationship will be to your children. Make yourself available. I know what it's like raising kids. You know what? Sometimes we get so busy that we forget to give ourselves time to be that influential person in the lives of our own kids. Right? We get so busy doing life that you just run ragged and you hang out together, but you don't give any space to, to let them ask questions and to mentor them and give them a place to, to grow inside of their faith. And for everybody else, you know, if you don't have that, the question for me always is why? Why aren't you that for somebody else? It's just like the whole fish thing. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be available. Let God do what only he can do. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, uh, first of all, thanking you for um, being able to be someone we can trust, someone we can put our faith in, someone that we can look at and say, regardless of the circumstances of life, Father, I know you're coming back. I trust you. I'm going to stay right here. Lord, I pray today that we will take responsibility for what it means to spur each other on. That we take responsibility for what it means to be able to, to go to the next level when it comes to faith. Lord, I pray today that we would recognize that our days are numbered. That we need to invest into and be invested into, Lord. And that you need, that we need for that to be so important in our lives. So Lord, I pray today that we'll not only remember those who have invested into us, Lord, that we will invest into other people. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
You know, that's when you sing that beautifully in over your head, right? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But if you've ever been at that place where you've been over your head and you've met Christ when the waves are crashing in, you would say the same thing. There's nothing more beautiful than being in over your head because it's where Christ can meet you, where you become dependent upon him. So that's my prayer for all of us, that we will remember to put ourselves out there, to allow him to use us in the lives of other people. Let us be providential relationships. Let us thank those who have been that in our own lives and allow God to do what only he can do. So thanks for being here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online, and we'll see you guys again next week.